this is the Shanice Lewis Show, the number one podcast for plus-size women. With your host, the queen of curvy conversation, Shanice Lewis. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Shanice Lewis. Today is Monday, May 11th, 2020. Make sure you're following this show's social media pages on Facebook at The Shanice Lewis Show and on Instagram and Twitter at Shanice Show. And make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. Today, we have a very special guest. Kelly Price has forged her own career path in music when she first earned the reputation as one of the industry's most sought-after songwriters before becoming a nine-time Grammy-nominated artist in her own right. Her first two albums, Soul of a Woman and Mirror Mirror, both went platinum and launched Price to R&B prominence. Ever-growing and ready for new ventures, Kelly Price is currently a series regular for the critically acclaimed drama American Soul, now in its second season. Price has also been given the distinguished honor of joining the iconic panel of judges for BET's hit gospel singing competition, Sunday Best. Her new singles, What I Need and Unsung, are currently on digital outlets everywhere. We're so, so excited to talk to Kelly Price today. Let's welcome Kelly to the show. So she is not on the line yet, so we're going to wait a few uh, minutes for her to call in. I know she's very busy and doing press. We're so excited to talk to her. I've been a big fan of Kelly Price's since the beginning of her career, and there she is. Let's get her on the line. Hi, Kelly. Hello. How are you? Um, on a different time zone. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, we got it together. Yeah, That's I, all that matters. I got word. I got word of my office's little blooper today, and I was like, "Oh my god." But thank you, guys. I appreciate you being so flexible. The days and everything are just kind of running into each other. Right, right. Well, I'm so excited. Yes, I'm so excited to talk to you. And I really wanted to talk to you after I saw you post that article when you talk about a story at the beginning of your career where you were kind of body shame. Now, for my audience that didn't see that article or hear that interview, briefly tell us what happened at the beginning of your career. Jeez. Okay, so I was the girl that every record company executive, A&R, there was not a president in the the business at the time, be it a Tommy Mottola, be it a Clive Davis, um, be it a Sylvia Rone or whatever. And I I ended up with a really great relationship with Sylvia Rone later down the road. Um, But they just weren't signing girls that looked like me. There were three words that floated around about me in this industry that all got back to me. And the descriptive words that were used to describe me were too fat, too black, too loud. Um, And so people loved my singing. They thought I did amazing as background work for other artists. Um, They even loved me so much that some of the artists that you thought were singing weren't singing. It was me. But they they just had their name on the record. Um, I was Mm -hmm. the the new modern-day Martha Wash, but I was a songwriter. I was a genuine songwriter producer, arranger, and so um, they would not, they hired me all the time to write songs for anybody that you could have listened to in the 90s, mid-90s, through the early 2000s and loved their music and loved their sound. Any of those artists at any point in time in their careers, I would have received a call from an A&R or a record company president to write something for them, but they would not sign me unless my idea of being an artist was to either be a house artist and do house music, or just do gospel music, which gospel music I love. I'm a preacher's kid. I'm actually a preacher. Um, And every person in my family is either a preacher or a singer. Most of the people in my family both sing and preach. 
and no company was willing to give me a shot unless it was one of those genres I was willing to go into. And I was just like, yeah, but why can't I just sing? I mean, I'm writing all these amazing songs for other people. Like, why can't I just sing the music that I write? And they were very clear. They, they, might, they might be able to palette your voice. We can make room for that because Aretha Franklin was a church girl too, and they were able to make her music palatable, not just in church music but in soul music as well. Um, but they felt like people would not get past my look. I wasn't light-skinned. I wasn't thin. I didn't have hair all the way down my back, and I sang like a church girl. Now, when you put out your first single after you did get signed and it went to number one, did you feel vindicated? So true story. In that same article, I actually named names in that article. You know, 30 years ago, you couldn't do that because you'd find yourself on a long list of black balls. Um, but I'm at 28 years later and, and really don't care at this point. Um, so I spoke about Jive Records being a, a company that they offered me a record deal. They they loved my voice. They figured, oh, we might be able to figure out a way to market the girl. But they used the record deal to suck me in because what they really wanted me for was as an in-house writer. So they coupled a record deal with a publishing deal. And... Um, I felt vindicated in this one moment, literally, after Soul of a Woman came out. There was this huge party that was being given by um, by a label for a young artist named D'Angelo. <laughs> mm. And so they invited a lot of artists to come to this party so we could listen to his music. And so this particular night, I was there. Gerald LeVert was a really good friend of mine. And I didn't do parties a lot. People knew I just didn't do parties a lot. If I went, it was because it was necessary for me to be there. I remember running into Jeff Fenster. Yes, I said his name. He was one of the senior vice presidents at Jive Records, and he was the one that actually was, that told me, you need to lose a whole lot of weight. And he, he wasn't even apologetic about it. And, you know, after the deal had been um, all the way inked, all the way everything but inked, and I saw him at this particular party. And I was on my way to the VIP section with Gerald LeVert, and I ran into him, and he stopped me, and he says, oh, my God, Kelly, your song is amazing, and you're doing so well. Congratulations. And I looked at him, I said, yeah. And I'm not an idiot in terms of that at all. Like, I'm not that girl. But I looked at him, and I said, yeah, I am doing well. I guess you were wrong about me. And he looked at me, and he just, and he just looked at me, and he laughed a little bit, and he said, touche. And then, you know, my, my buddy, uh, Gerald LaVert, had a few choice words of his own. You should have told him to go F himself. I was like, you know, I'm a lady. I ain't going to tell somebody <laughs> that. But, you know, I ain't going to lie. Those thoughts did come to mind because if, if anyone was rude in the room that day, other people were kind of afraid to say it. He actually just was kind of a no Fs about it kind of person. And he was like, come on, we may as well just we need to go ahead and say what we all been thinking. She needs to lose a massive amount of weight before we put a record out on her. And those were his words. Mm, and, and it took everything out of me. I said in that article, because obviously it was a long interview, you guys got the abbreviated version, but I literally felt my heart fall into my stomach and my face was my, was red and hot. And I felt the tears in my eyes and in my head I was going, you better not cry. You Better not mm-hmm. cry in front of people. But he just he he was an unkind person to me. Now God bless him. Maybe he's not that person anymore. But he was a, he was unkind to me and he was one of the major players in the industry at the time, someone I had done business for because I was writing with artists over there and I I just felt like I was I was David and this David and Goliath fight before he bust him upside the head with the rock. So is, I'm, I'm little David, and this is Big Goliath, and if you want to work in this industry, they can call you fat, whatever. Keep yourself together and, and get the job done. Yes. So body positivity wasn't a mainstream thing in the 90s. So Nobody did cares. You, right. So who did you have for support in the entertainment industry that you could lean on? Gosh, there, there, there were no visual or audible that that were that people that were there was no video of anyone that I could watch on television. There was no one's records that I could listen to that encouraged me to move in that direction because 
um, we know that we watched Aretha Franklin go up and down, but she also came into the business at a very different time. When she came into the business, it literally was just sing your face off, and they would still glam you up with wigs and that kind of thing, but she wasn't as large back then. She got she gained weight as she got older. So that still wasn't like the biggest thing with her. When it came to trying to get my head together, I had no examples because the only other, as much as I love Queen Latifah, she was a rapper. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, I just think that Martha Wash was amazing, but she sang house music, and I didn't want to sing house music. Every singer that I loved in gospel music, starting with the women in my family, signs my grandma, because my grandmother's like 4'11", and she's always been just small, frame, thin. The weight has definitely not come from her. Um, she was 4'11", but when she opened her mouth, she could destroy a room with the sound. Like, her voice was huge. Um mm-hmm. I had Ronald Isley in my ear. I had, at the time, and this is once I was signed, I had Ronald Isley in my ear. I had Hiram Hicks in my ear consistently telling me, you are absolutely beautiful, and I don't care how big you are. If we put all of that aside, the way you write, the way you sing, no is not a possibility for you. We don't care what these people say. No can't sit next to you when it comes to talent because you are talented. But on top of that, you need to understand how beautiful you are. You're gorgeous. You look like the women in the church. You look like the women in the neighborhood. You look like the women in our family. You're the woman that men marry. So I don't understand why you would feel like, and I was a married woman. That's a whole other situation. But, right. But, you are who men fall in love with, have families with, choose to spend the rest of their their lives with. These women look at you and they see themselves. They look at these other artists and they see things that in their mind they can never be without going through some painful procedure of changing their face or changing their body or, or you know, putting on 50, 11 pounds of hair, any of it. And they stayed in my I cried a lot during those times. I just didn't do it in public, and these men would sit with me and tell me, listen, you're beautiful, and you're going to have to get this stuff together because if you don't walk around with this level of confidence, people are going to know it. It's going to be like blood in the water. The sharks are going to get you. The dogs are going to smell your fear, and you will never have a prayer. They're going to say things. They're going to come at you. People are going to write things and you need to be able to let it roll off your back like water off a duck's back. And so I learned how to live that life publicly. I did a lot of crying at home because I had a lot of, there are a lot of experiences. It's so funny. I have different people talking to me about a Kelly Price biopic right now, but I can remember being hired by a record company for a male group that they had just signed. And I'd written a song for them. I was there. I was coming in to produce the song for them that, that day as well. I was at Daddy's House Studios. And during this session, there were some things that I wanted to change about the song to make it better suit the guys in the group. So I told them, y'all go take a break, go get something to eat, give me about an hour, I'm going to make some changes to the song, and we'll finish the session. I left the control room, went inside the vocal booth, sat down in a corner on the floor with my pen, my pad, my recorder, and started making some changes to the song that I'd written those guys walked into the, the vocal booth where I was, but there was, there was, it was a big room, and there, there used to be this, this dividing wall. I don't know if you recall up inside of, like, larger recording rooms to bring in the sound and make it sound more intimate. Sometimes they would put these walls up, these faux walls around the microphone, and you would stand inside of these faux walls and sing in front of the microphone so it would bring the sound in and it wouldn't be bouncing all over the room. I was in the back corner of the room writing the song. They came in in the front part of the room, and they were in front of this wall, so they didn't see me. This this group that I had been hired by Motown to write music for stood in the room and called me every fat B-I-T-C-H that they could think of. Did you see her? Did you see what she looked like? Excuse, excuse the phrase, but I'm just going to quote them. One of them said, yeah, man, she looked like a fat-ass Nell Carter. That's exactly what he said. Oh, wow. That's exactly what he said. And so I sat in the room, and I'm holding myself together because I'm, I'm trying not to make any noise because they don't realize in the room, and I hear them talking about me. 
And so I sat there. They walked out of the room. They're like, yo, come on, let's go grab something to drink real quick before this bee call us back in here to finish this session. And they walk out of the room, and I'm trying to figure out how to walk out of the room and then not see that I was in the room and heard everything that they said because they're standing in the hallway. And they stood there for like another 15, 20 minutes, and I had no choice but to walk out of the room so that I could get back to the control room to start the session over. And I just remember walking out of the room, and there was no other exit door. There was one one way in and one way out. And so they stood there, and when they saw me walk out of the room, they just got quiet, their eyes got big, their mouths fell open, and they just looked at me, and I said, excuse me, gentlemen, and I walked past them, and I walked into the control room and settled my in, my, myself in so we can get the session started again, and I started giving instructions to the engineer. And they all walked in the room, and they were standing there like, can we, can we talk to you for a minute? Please, can, can we please just talk to you for a minute? Can we please just, please, please, Miss Kelly, can we please just talk to you for a minute? And I said to them, no, talking to me is not necessary. You said what you said. It's fine. We're not here to be friends. I was hired by the record company to do a job. Let me do my job so we can finish, and I can go home. And, and I finished the session, and I went home and bawled like a baby. Because to even fight back, you know, I, I had several strikes against me. And, and I've never been one to start a fight. I grew up in the projects of New York City. I've never started a fight in my life. But if you pushed me in a corner and you forced me to defend myself, I learned how to fight back. Otherwise, you got gotten the projects in New York City. So a mm-hmm. lot of times what people would like to support was the response they got from me after they instigated or started a fight. And so some people would say, oh, she's a bitch. No, but I'm not going to just let you keep kicking me in the face. I'm not going to let you put my, my face in the concrete and just stomp on me over and over again. But I took a lot of that during that time because I had no advocate. And there was no one, there was no one to have my back. I had a producer to hire me to do all of this work on one occasion, and he owed me up into five figures. I have toddlers. And I'm like, listen, I can't come back and do any more work for you. My invoices are piling up, and you're not paying them. you got to at least pay the ones that are due. we got a 30-day net. we got some invoices that are sitting at 45 days, 50 days, can you just pay the ones that are, are overdue and we can keep working? And he actually told me he had no intention of paying me. He was like, you low B-I-T-C-H on the totem pole. What you going to do, sue me? You can't afford to. He said it to me. What mm. was I going to do? I had, I had toddlers at home, toddlers at home. And so um, I came up through a time where I had to exude body positivity when people were saying that bodies that looked like mine were not just an anomaly, but they were saying that they were just like some abject mistake that God had nothing to do with. And if you were big, it was because you were lazy. It was because you ate all the time. It was because you were, you know, there were all of these things that went along with being a plus-size person that that doesn't describe who most plus-size people, especially ones that I know, are. Right. There, maybe there is somebody that's sitting around that don't do anything but eat Oreos and fried chicken all the time. But that wasn't my story. Most days we didn't have food in the house. Mm-hmm. I was a big girl I came this store and I had a really, really sluggish metabolism because we didn't eat a lot. Most of the time there was no food to eat, so there was no food to metabolize. I thought a sluggish metabolism coming from a family filled with obese people. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, when, when we finally do tell my story, people are going to be like, yo, she should have went ham on somebody a long time ago. But God gave me a grace for it. And I feel like, and I say this today, and I don't take credit for her, but I do say that because of women like Martha Wash, because of women like me, there can be a Lizzo. Absolutely. Now, do you think that some of that sizeism and colorism that you experienced in the industry followed you when you went on R&B Divas and how you were portrayed on the show? Because on the Atlanta show, Nikki Gilbert was the villain. She's plus size and brown. And on the Los Angeles show, you were the villain. Yes, absolutely. I actually was the first person hired for that show. No one will ever say that. 
I was the first person hired for the show. I was the anchor cast member of the show because they wanted me to be a part of Atlanta, but I was no longer living in Atlanta. They, and they were asking if I was willing to come back to Atlanta to be a part of the show, and I said no. They were already talking about franchising the brand. I spoke to Nikki Gilbert about this, and that's a whole other thing. I can't tell her story. There's a lot of legal stuff that's attached to it. This was her brainchild. She had been thinking about this show years before she ever connected with the network or with um, a production company because she thought it was important for people to see the, the live and the at-home real-life situations that we who are sometimes looked at as larger than life deal with to show the common thread between these women who you love so much in music and television, um, to see the common thread between them and, and what your life is like. Some of us are married to abusive men. Some of us are married to womanizers. Some of us are married to liars and thieves. Some of us have really, really good husbands that take good care of us and, and, and are not insecure about having a woman who is known globally and adored by men and women all over the world, and they're not threatened by that at all. But that's what that was her idea for. I had spoken to Nikki about R&B divas years before she ever was able to get a meeting for it. And so I knew about the show. By the time it came to pass, I was living in Los Angeles. I was not willing to relocate to Atlanta or to move back to Atlanta in order to do it. But she was saying, you know, if this works out well, they're going to franchise, and we will want L.A. to be the next city. Would you consider being our anchor cast, and we build the cast around you in L.A.? And I told her, I'll think about it, but I need to see how season one with your show happens because I've seen reality TV with Run's House, which I love, and then I've seen reality TV with shows where you got women busting bottles inside each other's head, and I'm mm-hmm. not getting ready to do that. That was the conversation I had with her. And so, do yes, you... colorism was a part of it. The size was a part of it. She, she, Nikki, like I, has struggled with weight um, a lot throughout her life. She's also tall and statuesque. Um, and she has she she's boisterous. She has a very colorful personality. You have a colorful personality, so you understand that a lot of times, especially when people want to have a negative connotation about your type anyway, if you're boisterous, you can be loud but not angry. I'm I'm loud because I grew up in New York. I tell people all the time, I'm loud because you have to be loud to just be heard in a regular conversation between the screaming, the yelling, the sirens, the gunshots, people fighting. If you were having a regular conversation, you had to be loud just to be heard. So I had, I had a tendency to be loud just because I was born and raised in New York. But colorism was a part of it. The size thing was absolutely a part of it. Um, and these days, again, I'm back to I don't care. I never threatened a girl on that show. It was never that. I even told them, they came to every last one of us and told us, we do want to show the positivity. We do want to show the home side. There are interviews that I had with my son when he was in college, when he got his girlfriend, who is now his wife, pregnant, that I sat him down and I let him have it because I told him I wanted more for you. Not that his wife wasn't good enough, but I was 18 and pregnant. They have that film. Nobody ever saw it. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever saw me, Do you, you know, taking care of my grandchildren. Nobody ever saw me. You saw me cooking because the girls came over for dinner. But right. nobody, ever, nobody ever saw me in the other positions that I held. I was the minister of music at the church that I belonged to. So I was there several times a week in between filming. Nobody ever saw that. So Yeah, they never showed that. Of course they didn't. Of course they didn't. I'm a preacher's kid. I've never not gone to church. My faith has always played a part in everything that I've done, but I will say this. I don't downplay. Someone said to me one time, well, if you didn't say it, they couldn't have shown it. You're absolutely right. But anybody, you know, I I can help anybody that doesn't know anything about television. What I can tell you some of what you saw were conversations that took place concerning things that had nothing to do with what you were looking at that were edited and spliced together. So if you saw a wide shot and I said something crazy, it's very likely that I wasn't even saying that in that moment. Or if the camera was shooting from behind my head and I said something that just sounded off the wall, the likelihood is it never came out of my mouth in that moment. 
Now, how did you deal with the social media that came with uh, from the show? Because people were trying to really be disrespectful and say, oh, nobody's going to ever work with Kelly Price again because she has a bad attitude. Yeah. How did you deal with that? that? I caught a lot of that. I had death threats. I had to report a couple of them. Yes. Yeah, I, I think I think that people ought to, if they don't do anything else, people ought to let entertainment be entertainment and, and, and let the rest of the world move on. The other thing I will say is this, is that you as a fan, it is, and, I'm, and I'm throwing these two names out there, if I, and I'm using mine as one of them, if I have beef with NeNe Leakes, NeNe is enough woman that if it requires me to get my toe out the frame, she's enough woman to handle it. If I got that kind of beef with somebody and it requires it to be handled that way, believe me, I didn't survive the project in New York City not being able to handle myself. But beyond being enough woman to handle a situation like that, I'm too much lady to ever handle something like that. And when you get to a certain status, believe this, believe me when I tell you, if you ever hear about me putting my hands on somebody, it's in defense. I'm not getting ready to start a fight. If, I, if you ever hear about that and it's the truth, it's because I was defending myself. I started in this business at 18 years old, and I learned from business people. Before I worked 20, 30 years and let you take everything I earned because you started a fight with me, baby, trust me, I'll take that lick, throw you in jail, and keep all my coins. I'm smarter mm-hmm. than that. <laughs> and it doesn't look like it stopped anything because, like you said on the show, you booked. You are currently on a, a TV show, American Soul, and a judge on Sunday yeah. Best. So it really didn't yeah. stop anything for you. You know what? It did slow down. I had a couple of shows canceled. I had some promoters tell me that I was high risk. Um, and I was offended by it because I won't name names. But there are artists that tear up hotel rooms, tear up dressing rooms, break windows, get into physical altercations at after parties, and that had never been associated with me, ever. None of those behaviors had ever been associated with me. So I did lose work over it. I actually sat and counseled with Dr. Betty Price, who is the wife of renowned global preacher, Dr. Frederick Casey Price. They were not mm-hmm. my pastors at the time. I had to, I couldn't involve my pastor and my first lady in it at the time because they were a part of the filming. Again, even though you didn't see some of the stuff, they were a part of the filming and they had to sign NDAs and agreements not to speak publicly about it. And it pained them because the, the, the organization, the children's organization that I worked with, the, the founder of the organization actually gave an interview to say that the things that they said about the way that even when I said I had stood the children up and all that kind of stuff, he gave an interview to say that none of that was true, that what they did was they changed the day 24 hours before it was supposed to be done, and I was already scheduled to be someplace else because they changed the date of the children's thing at the last minute. They asked them to change the children's program to a date when they already knew I was going to be out of town. So it's just a bunch of mess. Yes, it was intentional. And they came to me and they said, we love the television opportunity, but you've been working with us for years. So if you say, you know, don't do it, we'll lose the television opportunity and we'll do it when you can be here. And I told them to keep the television opportunity because if it was an opportunity to shine a light on what they were doing for the children and the community, I was coming back anyway do what would work best for the organization. And so they did what they did, but then they turned around and sent a cease and desist letter to the organization and told them that they spoke anymore about, about, and this is a nonprofit, mind you, dealing with black and brown children whose parents are either incarcerated or on drugs. This is the Mm -hmm. program I was working with. They issued a cease and desist, the television production company issued a cease and desist letter and told them that they would pretty much sue them into, into non-existence if they took another interview about it. And they called me very upset, and I said, let it go. I can survive the scrutiny. I'll be fine. There are too many kids whose lives are depending on what you do for them. And so I think 
reality TV has been around long enough that most people with some intelligence understand that what they're looking at is what they're seeing, but it doesn't necessarily make it the truth. Um, there right. are some people who will always believe exactly what they see, and those are the people that will keep reality TV a billion-plus-dollar-a-year industry, and that's fine. People have asked me, will you ever do reality television again? Yes, but only if I am the executive producer of it because I understand what it takes to make good television, but I believe that if you're going to present conflict, you should always present resolve. And the issue that I have with a lot of reality television is that it lives off of conflict, but it never shows resolve. And I think that overwhelmingly black and brown women, women of color, are the ones who are disproportionately looking unnerved, undisciplined, angry, um, um, uh, you know, just all of these negative things. And we're brilliant. We're so brilliant and we're so talented and we're so innovative and so creative that there has to be something else that we can see with us other than that. Now, Besides reality TV, I hear that you currently have a plus-size clothing line in production. Tell me about that. So after years and years and years of wanting to do this, when I first came out as an artist, I was 275 pounds when Soul of a Woman came out. Mm -hmm. Within that first year, my mother and my mother-in-law were both diagnosed with inflammatory breast cancer. And an already tight schedule went to me double and sometimes triple booking myself because I was taking care of three households. I had a house note in New York, which was my own. I was taking care of all of my mother's bills, who was in treatment living in Texas at the time. And my mother-in-law had to come off of her job because she had to go into aggressive treatment at the same time. They were diagnosed within 60 days of each other. And it was all within the first year of that first album coming out. Um, I, I, went from 275 to 336. I was probably bigger than that, but that's the last time I got on a scale, and I cried. At that time, I was making enough money to afford to have my clothes made, so I stopped going in stores. So I, the last time I bought something off the rack for myself, it was a size 32 wide. Mm-hmm. And so I, I didn't want to have to keep looking at size tags anymore. So I started getting everything custom made, and I started designing my clothes from very early on. Um, So I'm like, there's a lot of women out here that look like me. I should do a clothing line. I had a couple of of opportunities present itself, but they didn't want me to make the clothes. I wanted to take the clothes at least up to a 32 because that was the size that I knew the last time I looked at the tag I I was wearing. I had production lines disagree that the clothes should be that big because they would no longer be beautiful. But you're talking to a woman who was that size, so you're basically telling me I'm ugly and you don't think I deserve clothes. So I walked away from several opportunities, including with retail chains that are out there right now that we spend a lot of money at, at, um, because they didn't feel they wanted to create clothes that were too big, um, And when I talked about advertisement, I had another very large national chain say to me, we we won't spend money on advertising to that community. It's a waste of our time and a waste of our dollars. Where else are they going to go? There's no place else to go but us. So why would we waste our money curating ads for women of color in that community? So I walked away from that deal. I walked away from that deal. And I told myself that just like I did with the music because I did talk about the bidding war and ultimately going with Ronald Isley, who took me to Island Black, Hiram Hicks. It was the least amount of money on the table once the bidding war started, but I went where I knew I would be allowed to be myself and and be authentically Kelly. And I've told myself that if it is indeed the thing for me that that God has, I'll continue to do my part, but I will not not be told your, your, your clothes need to go down to a size six and you can't make clothes size, that are size larger than a size 24. That's insane to me because I've been larger mm-hmm. than a size 24 for a good period right. of my life, and that's insulting. And there are women over a size 24 that deserve to have beautiful clothes to represent who they are and, and the community Absolutely. that they belong to. So I decided 
to, again, bet on Kelly. And what I did was I took a bunch of money that I saved over the last couple of, the, of years, thank God for two television shows being a, a, a season regular on. I was saving money for this particular venture, and I connected with um, a young lady in Los Angeles who owned a boutique, young, a brilliant black kid. You should speak to her. Her name is Maxie James. And she owned a boutique on Melrose as a young black woman in her 20s and decided to give up her brick and mortar because with everything moving in the direction of Internet, to spend that kind of money to be on a Melrose location, she could still provide her clothes, but to a generation that's doing most of their shopping online anyway. So met with Maxie, talked a little bit about it. Maxie was a fan. She told me a story of having met me many years before where I was gracious enough when I was on vacation in Las Vegas to stop and make a birthday video for her. I didn't even remember it, but she said I did that for her. So when she heard I wanted to meet with her, she was like, yes. Maxie now is a part owner in a manufacturing company in Turkey where, where clothes are created. So I sat mm. with Maxie last year and discussed what my vision was with her, and she said, I would love to help you make this happen. Literally, all of my samples and patterns were in production when the country got shut down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so my plan was to introduce the line this year, um, and everything is sitting in the factory in Turkey right now. So, um, but but I had, had I, like, all my patterns were done. I had finished with my designs. Um, I was picking to the point of picking different fabrics that I wanted my jeans and the dresses and the jackets and all of these things to be made in, and the entire country got, got shut down. So I said, okay, I'm not God. He knows what he's doing. He knows what's happening even when we don't. But it is. It's in the works. And as soon as we are able to freely um, not just communicate, because we can talk all the time, but have, you know, the packaging and stuff move back and forth. And there's some stuff that's sitting in customs that's been sitting there for weeks, you know, months now. So once, you know, we can kind of figure out how to get things back to normal, I'm going to proceed with presenting this line. And the name of the line is Inner Diva. And, mm. and, and uh, because I want every woman should come in touch with her inner diva. And, and I nicknamed it ID because a lot of us have an identity crisis because we're so busy trying to look at the things that we're seeing online and in these pictures and everything that we're looking at is filtered and photoshopped. So it doesn't right. even exist. It's not even real. I want women to get in touch with their, with, with their true ID. Get in touch with your true inner diva. Get in, tr in, in, in touch with your true self. Know your ID and let that shine through. So whether she's the businesswoman, whether she's the ingenue, whether it's date night with her boo, whether or night it's ladies' night out and you're putting on your short tights, let's go get them dressed, whatever that looks like, every woman de deserves to be in touch with that side of her. So I'm super excited. We're only halted now because the world is on pause and slowly trying to figure out <laughs> how we get back to that point. But once we get back to some form of, of regular whatever, and it's safe to, because I was looking forward to like full fish and figure fashion week, full figure fashion week, and all of this stuff. We're just trying to figure out how to get folks back to work. So we can't worry right. about fashion week or work and all of this kind of stuff. That's the last thing I'm worried. I told everybody coming to see a Kelly Price concert is probably something that won't happen before next year because, they can't even figure out how to get people in the grocery store without somebody getting sick. So, right. you know, it, it is what it is. But I am happy that I'm at a point where I'm comfortable and the children are grown and I have the opportunity to say, I don't have to worry about paying for college. I don't have to worry about this. I took my money. I saved it. And I decided to do it myself. I'm going to have an online presence. If, if, if I, I would love for Macy's to pick it up or for some other major chain to pick it up. But if not, I will have an online presence, and these amazing clothes will be available to any woman who wants to wear them. Now, is this the first time yeah. you spoke about this clothing line publicly? Did I get the exclusive on it? It is. No, this is an exclusive. You just got the scoop. All right. But I've given you the name and everything. Like, this is, this is you just got the scoop. <laughs> well, I haven't I'm talked excited. to anybody else about this. Yeah. Well, I, I'm your team demographic. Wait till you see the clothes. 
Wait till you see the yeah. clothes, because a lot of it is based on uh, some of the stuff that women have seen me and that I've designed for myself. So when they would ask the question, where do I get that? I couldn't tell you where to get it because there was no place to get it. I would sit with somebody, and, and we would sit, and we would get it drawn out because I'm horrible as a drawer. I, I'm literally a six-figure girl, but we sit, we get it drawn out, and I would get it made, and I would wear it. Nice. Well, let's yeah. talk about your new single because we're talking and talking, but we got to put the single. Okay, so which one? Which one? The gospel single or the R&B single? Well, let's talk about the gospel one first. That's a really nice song. Are you going to perform that on Sunday's Best? Um, so the, the, that was actually the plan. The, the, the release, the song came out two days after my grandpa passed, believe it or not. Oh. And so it's been very hard. My, my grandpa passed on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And the song came out on Tuesday. This generation knows New Music Friday. But when I was coming up, new albums came out on Tuesday. Right. And so I, I specifically picked the Tuesday release, um, you know, to kind of throw it back to um, when, when music came out when I was coming along on Tuesday. And so the release date was for April 14th. Had no idea that my grandfather was going to contract the virus and it was already ready to go. He passed that Sunday. So the song was coming Tuesday whether I was ready for it or not, literally two days later. And I, I, I released it because I wanted to be able to present something that would be beautiful and effective and something that meant a lot to me um, to the Sunday Best audience. I was scheduled to perform it for the finale last year, if you recall, in season nine. Kirk Franklin opened the season with the performance on episode one, but Jonathan... Erica and, and, and I all performed at the finale along with the last two contestants. And so mm-hmm. we were to do this year. And I sang Dorinda Clark Cole's song, I'm Still Here, last year because I didn't have music of my own to present. And so when I was invited back to be a judge for season 10, I said it would be smart for me to have something of my own to present. I know a lot of music. I have a very wide repertoire of gospel music that I love to sing, but I also have a gospel album, but that album is now 15 years old, um, if you can believe it. So I'm like, no, I don't need to do anything for the old gospel album. I need to do something new and present something new and fresh for this audience. And so that was the point of releasing what I need, and it just so happened that the whole world was in the middle of this and I feel like the messages inside the song are so appropriate for what's going on right now. But it was to be my finale performance. It still will be because we had to halt production on the show while this was going on. And until we can kind of figure out a way to get back in and to know that everybody's safe and nobody's contagious, we're on hold until our producers can figure out how to do that. Um, but what I need will be performed at the season finale. <laughs> Of, of Sunday Best Season 10, and what it would have been, it would have been available to the public for the all of these months, because Sunday Best generally airs during the summertime, with our finale episode airing in the end of August. So it would have been perfect, because an April release, by the time people heard it and saw it on the finale, they would have been familiar with it by then. Mm-hmm. Now, your your second song, Unsung, is more of a sad song. Now, what was your inspiration for that? Did you just break up with somebody recently? No. Unsung was written, be- it was written actually a couple of years before I walked away from my marriage. I had, I had been in that relationship. I met my ex-husband when I was 13 years old. He had been my boyfriend since I was 16. And oh, I was, wow. So I was, yeah, I was in that relationship for almost 30 years and married for 24 of those years. And and as a writer, I tell people I either write the things that I've already lived, I'm writing what I'm currently living, or I'm writing about the life that I want to live. And mm. so when I wrote a song, I, I, you know, in my mind, um, I'm like, I can't stay here, but what happens if I leave? You know, there's so many things that we could have done to that, together. What if I leave and I regret it? And so... 
unsung represents so many things. When you go through the scenarios that are in that song, my un my my undreamed dreams, my unthought thoughts, um, my unlaughed laugh, my unloved love. You can never you you've heard the saying. It says you can never um, what is it? You can never unring a bell. Once a bell has been rung, you can't unring it. It's a sound. It's a sound wave, and even when it leaves your ears, that sound wave is traveling throughout the earth. Waves, energy never dies. It's only recreated, and that's scientific. So I thought about all of these things that, you know, what if, what if I stayed and it got right? I'm going to miss out on this. I'm going to miss out on that. And, and that was the fight that I had with myself. And it's like, yeah, but you've been here so long, and you still haven't been, and you still haven't that. So if you leave, you might be unlaughed, unloved, unlived, unsung, but you stayed and you're still unlaughed, unlived, unloved, unsung. And so I just got about all the things that I didn't get a chance to do because I wasn't in a good situation as opposed to, and I changed my perspective, especially now, but I changed my perspective. And, I'm, and, and it is, it's melancholy, but my hope is, that people will listen to it and realize that if they're still alive and they still have breath in their body, they have an opportunity to make the unlaughed laugh a laugh. They have the opportunity to make an unlovable situation a lovable situation, even if it means leaving that situation and waiting for the right love. If, you have, if your life is unlived, you're, you still have breath in your body. There's an opportunity to choose to live. It's a decision, and sometimes it's a really hard decision, but it's a decision, and you can make it. And so what I love about it really is what I love about Unsung. I've been listening to it the last couple of days, and I've just kind of closed my eyes. And I have to honestly say, because I wrote this song years ago, and it was one of those things that I told myself I would never release because I felt like, I was giving too much of a, of a look inside of my soul. But I had a very, very proud moment in recent days, not because it came out, but because I finally decided that if there's any shame, it's not mine to be had. Mm-hmm. I, I asked for the bad situation. I did tolerate it, but I also made a decision to make change. And so I'm hoping that this will become and this song will become an agent of change for people that can decide that I really do deserve better than what I've just been accepting. Now, have you been watching the versus battles on Instagram? Who do you think will be a good match to go against you? I'll be honest with you. I haven't watched them and I'm not interested in going against anybody. And I'm going to tell you why a lot of it is because, of, of the way people compared me to other people all the time, and I was felt I was made to believe that I couldn't hold a candle to anybody, even if I sang better than them, because I just mm-hmm. they're gonna be higher than me, they're gonna be flyer than me, they can dance better than me. I can't dance at all. I got the illest two step anybody ever seen though, because I do have rhythm and I'm from the hood. So if you can't do nothing else, if you're black, most people got rhythm. And if they get a good beat, they got a cute little two step. I got my, I got a cute little two step. And, and you dance in your video in your pink suit. I did that one choreography routine when I did the remix to Secret Love with the Brad yes. JD, and I yes. performed it for the Soul Train Awards. I did that just to prove that big girls can move. When I finished that thing, I told the record company president, "Don't ask me to do nothing like this ever again, because I will <laughs> never do it." But I understood why. I, we, we proved to the world that big girls can move, and now that you know I can move, let me get back to singing. Now they got to keep up with me moving and singing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, so I you're not interested in going again. I think it's great entertainment, and I think it's great when you have artists like Erica and Jill who can do it just for entertainment, and, and, and they really not hinting on how people feel about them when they do it. But it's, it's great entertainment. I, I'm, just, I'm more interested in people going to get my new music and, and figuring out when I get to get a concert. <laughs> I want to sing. I want to get out there and sing for the people because my concert, if I was to describe it per a fan, when they leave my concert, they done had church, 
They want to lo- they want to be in love. They want to fight. They want to do all this. They, by the end of my concert, they done felt all these emotions. They want to fight. They want to make up. They want to be in love. They feel empowered. They want to go to church. Like, how does that happen in one concert? I, when you go to a Kelly Price concert, I promise to God, that's what happens. And if it's on a Saturday night, it's funny. People will leave my concert on a Saturday night, and if they ain't been to church in a year, will find a church to go to. The next morning, it's the craziest <laughs> thing. And it's R&B music. But I can't help that I got a preacher that lives down inside. I be preaching about, baby, no, you ain't got to take that, baby. God didn't make you to take that. Yeah, I know that's right. (laughs) So do you have anything else happening that we need to know about before you go? Oh, my God. Okay, so American Soul Season 2 starts May 27th. I am making my return as Breanne Clark in Season 2. You will get to see the evolution of Breanne. I believe this is three years later after her husband is gone, after the kids are out of the house and she has now decided to get back to music. So don't miss that. Season two begins on the 27th of March, Sunday best. I am waiting for them to tell me when it is safe for us to go back to work, as is Kirk, as is Erica, as is Jonathan, as are the contestants and our amazing crew who works um, with us behind the scenes. Um, I am releasing EPs this year. That is, hmm. That's different for me because I come from the era of we do whole albums, with bonus cuts, and sometimes you get like 18 songs on an album. The model has changed since then, so we don't do that anymore. What I am glad about is that in this era and being able to release music so freely and being where I am in my career, I'm no longer allowing myself to be boxed into a genre. So you will get two EPs from me this year, one that will have more music like what I need, and then the other which will have more music like unsung. So I have an R&B EP coming later this year, as well as a gospel inspirational EP, both to be released before the end of this year. I am currently writing and and producing from a distance, literally. I have session files going between L.A., Chicago, Atlanta. I'm singing vocal parts in Atlanta. Some music is coming from California. Some music is coming from Chicago. i got hopefully some music coming out of Miami. I have some interesting features that are going to be on this project. Trina just keeps saying, you came and did this song about me, about my mama with me. I'm just waiting on you to tell me what song you want me to jump on. I got I got John Connor, who was formerly signed to Aftermath. I just did something on his new project that just came out last week. He's waiting on me to tell him what I want him to jump on. I got, I got uh, Wale who's literally like, sis, I'm waiting on you. Like, you did these two joints for me. So I'm excited about the music that's coming, and I would just say this. Don't be surprised where you hear them, because I'm cool with putting Trina on a song on my gospel album. I feel like we all have the right to praise God, and nobody knows what our walk is privately other than us and God. And so just don't be surprised where you see where, where they land. But um, the collabs are going to be interesting. The collabs are going to be interesting. And the music is just going to be Kelly. I'm going to Bob Kelly because after 24 years of marriage and I have grown children and grandchildren, I'm 47 years old, and I am finally okay with me. The wigs come off at night. I got plaits in my hair. I, I drink <laughs> me lots too. of water. <laughs> I take really good care of my skin. I, I, I see people saying, I can tell she's lightening her skin. No, what happens is is when you eat better and when you let go of stress and you drink plenty of water and you love yourself, your countenance changes. No skin bleach here. This is, this is Kelly happy, Kelly evolved, Kelly adjusted, and Kelly releasing what she can't control to God. That's exactly who I am. Amen to that. Amen to that. <laughs> tell us and your official. Oh. I love my grandpa. That is the last thing I want to say. Thank you to everyone who has expressed their condolences from around the world. Big shout out to Southside Jamaica. He was the neighborhood pastor. He was Southside Jamaica Queens pastor. He was that pastor that even if you weren't a member of the church, he would christen your baby and bury your mama at the same time. A lot of churches won't do it if you're not a member. My grandfather was not that guy. He lived 94 years, and after being a veteran and traveling the world to to parts of, you know, where disease was ravaged and people were hungry. He did that for decades. It was 
the coronavirus that took him out at 94 years old, but I'm truly his child. I have decided that um, I have been, I've been an ordained elder for five years, so I'm Reverend Kelly Price, that's crazy, um, and I received an honorary doctorate from seminary four years ago. So I'm also oh, Dr. Wow. Kelly Price. Congratulations. So, I, have, thank you so much. I have decided that in honor of my grandfather, because he always said, I don't care what you do for a living, you know you're still a preacher. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but my pulpit ain't necessarily inside the church. My pulpit is the stage. And he would just laugh at me. I have decided to um, use it. I've never used the title, but in honor of my grandfather, because he never did get an opportunity, and I have done it because he's never had the opportunity to see me in that role because I have spoken as Dr. Kelly Price. I have also spoken as Reverend Kelly Price at churches. Not a lot because I identify more so in the past with the singing and production and entertainment side of myself. Um, I have decided to um, utilize both titles. And so I laughed at myself because I accepted an interview the other day as Reverend Dr. Kelly Price. And when I saw it on the flyer, I was just like, oh, my God, this is so crazy. But I know my grandfather is getting the hugest chuckle with my sister in heaven right now. She's probably like, he got you. And he's laughing and like, I told you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is really nice. with Reverend Dr. Kelly Price who sings R&B music loud and proud, and I never intend to stop. Well, hey, I don't like when people put us in boxes. You can do everything. We can. We really, really can, and we do it, and we choose how we want to do it. And I, and I can, just like I've crafted the way I've wanted my music to be, and there were certain things that I just would never say in my music because it wasn't who I was. Um, I feel like I have the opportunity to continue to do that. And now I'm just, you know, when it's time for me to sing as we lay, you can call me Reverend Doctor if you want to, or you can just call me Kelly. I'm not tripping off the title. I've been that for five years and four years respectively now, and nobody, most people didn't even know it. So, um, but in honor of my grandfather, I have decided to more frequently and when necessary use the title Reverend Dr. Kelly Price. Well, I'm excited for you and everything's to come. Before you leave, tell us your official yes. website and your social media pages. Yes, my uh, new my website is under construction because there's so much to talk about now. It is www.kellyprice.com. On Twitter, um, I am Kelly Price 4 that's the number 4, real. On Instagram, I'm Miss, M like Mary, S like Sam, Miss Kelly Price. And on Facebook, I am Kelly Price. It's Kelly Price Fans Official. All of my official pages that either someone from my staff or I post from, 90% of the time it's me posting from my page. Um, there mm-hmm. are times when I just don't have time and someone from the staff is doing it, but 90% of the time it is me posting from my page. If you don't see the blue verification check mark. Don't even bother. I'm not asking you to send money to feed kids around the world. I'm not giving away iTunes cards. I don't need (laughs) money for my charity. When I do, it's coming from the the, the page that's verified. Please, I haven't told people a gazillion and one time, please don't send your money to somebody that says it's me because I'm I'm trying to find somebody that I can bless during this season. I'm not asking you to send me money. So just be smart, be wise. Um, and I, I'm just appreciative. I celebrated 28 years in January in this business. 20, I've been a singer my whole life, but I collected my first check in the music industry in January of 2002. And I'm just, excuse me, not 2002, my mind is going. Uh, in 1992, excuse me. So that was 28 years ago. And I am very great 28 years later. I am still here. And people still want to hear what I have to say. And my voice is still here, and they still want me to sing, and they still want to hear what the lyrics to my songs are. And we're ever evolving, and I feel like as long as we're alive, we have an audience of people to talk to because there's somebody out there that's going through the same stuff. And me being somebody that more people know does not exempt me from the same stuff. I'm day-to-day just like everybody else during corona. I cry all day one day, the next day I'm laughing about my grandfather. So we're all here together, and I'm just praying for the world right now. I'm praying for the world right now. We all need it. 
Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We didn't talk an hour. I didn't have you scheduled that long, but we just talking and talking. I owed you that much hell. I was walking around uh, with plaques uh, and pajamas and, and got a call like, you missed your interview. I'm like, no, my interview is 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, right? And, and lo and behold, it was in my calendar wrong, but we got that thing together. We got it all the way together. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you for being flexible and allowing and please keep me in the loop when you uh, release your plus size clothing line. Like if you have a launch yes, or something, put me on the program. We yes. have to. We have to do something. We definitely, definitely have to do something together. And I, I, I in my mind, my marketing is already crazy in my head. I, I want to celebrate plus size women, women of every body shape, and I want to educate women on how to dress. Their their best body, how to dress how to dress their body the best for what it is. I always encourage people to be healthy and and to just be the best you that you can be. And if you want to see change happen, make the change. But until then, be the best you where you are. Absolutely. Well, thank yes, you ma'am. again, Miss Kelly you. Price. Keep in touch and enjoy the rest of your evening. You do the same. Take care. Be safe and be healthy. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. And thank you to my guest this evening, the legendary Miss Kelly Price. I enjoyed speaking with her so much. I've been your host this evening, Shanice Lewis. Thank you for tuning in and supporting. Until next time, keep thriving in your curves and be blessed. You've been listening to The Shanice Lewis Show. For more info about the show, visit ShaniceLewisShow.com.